What's up, guys? It's time to go Behind the Bum. Okay. What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of Behind the Bum. This episode, I invited two friends to come on. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about like the political climate um, and everything that's going on in the world right now. So I brought on my friend Anthony. What's up, babe? Hey, how you doing? Um, Anthony is on the more liberal side of the spectrum, if you want to call it that. Um, and then I brought my friend David on, who is on the other side of the spectrum. What's up, babe? Hey, how are you? Thanks for having me. Uh, this is going to be really interesting because I feel like we all have very different viewpoints. So I'm interested to see how this pans out. Um, so for anyone who's about to listen to this, um, this isn't a conversation about what's right or what's wrong. It's more of a conversation of we're all going to go through our difference of political opinions. So some might be very liberal, some might be very Republican. Um, and we're just trying to showcase like the range of sides so you guys can gauge your own viewpoints and opinions after what you hear we say. Um, so one thing. I just want to reference is that for anybody who's listening to this, um, your vote matters and everybody should be registered to vote. And I hope at the end of this, you learn something or you kind of figure out like where you might stand in a political party or like a decision come November. Um, and also in reference to the two people who I'm going to be asking a lot of personal questions to, um, I just want you guys to know that I'm friends with both of them. So I can tell you right now, do not, message them and say anything negative like they both are good people and have good hearts so although politically i might not agree with some things that might be said right now um at the end of the day i know they're good people so with that being said um let's start with my friend anthony um so anthony how would you describe yourself like politically so first and foremost what i'd like to say is that you know we exist in a political system here in America that favors two pretty dominant parties, um, you know, the Republican Party and the Democratic Party. And there are things outside of that, um, but that's what we see as, as you know, um, leaning in terms of dominance. And what you usually see in elections is like, it's, it's one versus the other, right? And I'll be the first person to tell you that I think that there um, is unfortunately plenty of corruption on both sides. Um, neither side is without sin. And I think a lot of us can agree with that. But I am a firm believer uh, when it comes to policy and politics um, in the U.S. is that I feel like if we formed our policy on the basis of humanity and morality and equality for all human beings, um, we would create the country that I'd hope we all desire to live in um, and everything else would fall into place. Um, I think for many decades now, and especially in the last four years, I find that the Democratic Party um, or the liberal side of the spectrum aligns a lot more with my political beliefs and my moral compass. So then, David, I'm going to transfer this over to you. Why do you, or like, how do you position yourself politically and why? Uh, so politically, I consider myself a conservative libertarian, which basically means on social issues, um, I take a very libertarian standpoint, which means live and let live. You know, you have the right to pursue your own happiness. It's literally within the, it's considered an inalienable right by our constitution, uh, written by the founding fathers, which is the basis of this country. Um, so, you know, I, I don't, 
I don't care what people do, how they want to do it. I'm not in the business of telling other people how to live their lives. Um, politically, I identify um, and economically I identify more as a conservative because I believe that uh, that is what's best for America as a, as a country. So before I dive into this, so Anthony, it seems like you choose to vote personally based more on social issues where David, you seem to cast your vote more on like financial issues. Not exclusively, uh, but I will say I'm not a single issue voter. Voter, so um, it's it's not it's not specifically the economy. It's not the you know um, the absence of social issues. It's to me, it's a it's a broader uh, spectrum of issues as a whole, as opposed to you know voting for single specific issues. So one thing I want to ask both of you before we dive into like three topics that we all discussed. Um, Anthony, do you think the way you were raised influenced your political party at any point? Uh, absolutely. And I think for reasons that you might not guess. So um, I was raised in actually a very conservative Republican household. Uh, we ate dinner every night to the soundscapes of Fox News. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I think especially in your formative years of growing up, um, you're a product of your environment. And I remember being taught growing up um, until I, you know, left the nest that the economy is the most important thing when it comes to voting and choosing your political affiliation, because that's, you know, what makes the country run, right? Um, and that was kind of drilled into my, uh, into my psyche as I grew up by my environment, by my parents. Um, but once I moved away for my undergrad and I was able to expose myself um, to a broader melting pot of people and cultures and create my own environment. Um, I found myself challenging a lot of those right-leaning ideologies that I grew up hearing about. Uh, for example, things like the hyperbolic dangers of marijuana, the war on drugs in general, um, pro-life, uh, same-sex marriage and LGBTQ rights, um, the lack of separation between church and state, uh, the radicalization of Muslim people. I mean, I could go on. Um, but these are all things that I remember hearing constantly in the news that we were listening to. Um, and what I concluded once I left home and, you know, created a life of my own is that um, many of these major talking points on the right side that I was being exposed to, uh, they were rooted in hyperbole, racism, homophobia, bigotry, and honestly, conspiracy. Um, and none of those were qualities that I wanted to align myself with. And that's when I became more open to seeing the other side, you know, as far as it goes as like liberal or democratic. Um, and, and aligning myself with, with my values. I think that, you know, especially nowadays, politics and humanity are so intertwined. It's not, the conversation really isn't about like political opinion. It's about, you know, do we believe the same on a moral compass level? So that's kind of my story as far as my political affiliation and how it was influenced with my upbringing. I was gonna say, I can relate to that a little bit because I think, there's certain people in my family who like we know who to talk politics with and who not to talk politics with where like for example my dad and my brother I know at the end of the day will vote for Donald Trump like we just mm -hmm. will never see eye to eye like my brother that's just how he feels my brother's 20 and I don't know if that's like a college frat boy kind of vibe because he just like relates to it 
but like my mom is very open in the sense that like she is just like very liberal like strongly hates him like turns the channel the minute she sees donald trump's face and i don't want to say donald trump is like the sole reason as to why you should be republican or liberal but it's just that's our current president and Mm -hmm. i think he's maybe giving a bad look to people who might want to be republican but just for me it's like interesting to see both sides within your own household because you see that like two people my parents have been together for as long as I've been together so I've they had me their first year so 27 years they've been together so it's interesting to see that two people can be married for 27 years but they're on completely opposite ends of this that my mom would literally spit on the man if she's seen him but then my dad's gonna vote for him again in November even though he has a gay son so it's just weird and like no matter what I say to him I would never change his viewpoints that's just who he is what he is and like as a gay person we've just learned to like not talk about certain things because that's just like better for our relationship um david how do you think the way you were raised had an influence on your political standpoints yeah a hundred percent you know it's uh you know, it's nurture versus nature. And at a certain point, nurture really does influence us. Um, I was raised in a big Texas conservative Christian family. Both my parents worked at a church. I was a preacher's kid. And you know what they say about preacher's kids? We're the craziest ones. And I have to say, I went through many years of rebellion in my life. And actually, when I came out as gay, I actually kind of abandoned um, the, the whole community uh, because I didn't feel welcome. Um, and I had my own journey of self-exploration. Um, I worked in Hollywood for, for 10 years. Um, I w- and I went to a liberal arts university. Um, I got very involved in the gay community. So I lived the life, uh, that, that stereotypical gay lifestyle of being liberal and having these ideas. And honestly, I, I was not thinking very critically at the time, um, but ultimately now at this point in my life, I've come full circle um, and I've realized uh, that I'm actually extremely grateful for the ways that, uh, that I was raised. I'm extremely b- grateful for the values that were instilled within me as a child and that I'm, uh, I actually have a better relationship with my parents now. I've gotten uh, you know, more in touch with my spirituality. Um, and, you know, I, I think that, um, and my parents were never super political either. I think that, um, I think there's a misconception, especially within the gay community of Republicans or conservatives. And there's these buzzwords that are used like racist and homophobic, or people think that, um, you know, it's all about, you know, the economy. But the thing is, the, you know, um, if you actually look into it on a deeper level, there's a lot more going on than just sort of writing things off with these general brushstrokes. I know for me, um, the, like, the main thing that brought me back, I consider you know, myself kind of like the prodigal son comes home, um, was the idea of uh, small, limited government, um, strong borders, strong military, um, an individual liberty. And that's actually why you see a lot of diversity on the right, um, specifically the diversity of thought. And it's, and you know, um, 
within the conservative movement um, that I'm very active in, there are actually a lot of different people. There's a whole vast array of people with different ideas. Um, and we all, within the spirit of America and the spirit of debate, a lot of people even disagree with each other. However, um, you know, based on our constitutional rights and the values that our country was founded on, um, what you'll probably be surprised to find out is that conservatives actually champion and celebrate um, diversity of thought, um, which is why I think the conservative party gets a bad rap because within that, you know, there are these segments of, you know, of bad apples, um, if you will. And I think, you know, you and I and Anthony would all, you know, could all pinpoint them and, and agree that um, those aren't people that any of us want to represent our communities. Um, and I guess uh, I would definitely say that my upbringing um, affected the way that I view uh, these political issues now um, and also have informed my journey as a, as a human and, and as a gay man in America to lead me to this point here. So I sent you guys um, three topics that I thought would be a good idea to discuss based on like everything going on in the world right now. Um, so for anybody listening, we're going to go through um, LGBTQ rights. We're going to go through the Black Lives Matter movement and police brutality. And also we're just going to jot and like talk about the system and voting in general. So first, let's dive into the LGBT community. Um, so David, why don't you start and I'll let you ask Anthony or I a question? So I guess, um, and maybe this will just piggyback off of, um, you know, the question that you asked both of us earlier, but um, my specific question is what, um, what, what with, what within either of you um, gives you a sort of sense of either allegiance or identity with the Democrat party as a, as a gay person? Um, and, and why do you think it is that um, just by default, so many um, gay people identify as liberals. Um, I guess, you know, coming from the other side, I'm curious your perspective. Anthony, you want to take that? Sure. Um, so, you know, I think I'm, I'm going to kind of give a little disclaimer again, similar to how, how I did with my first statement, which was, you know, I will acknowledge that there is corruption on both sides. And, um, I will also acknowledge that there are many figures on the left who have changed their stances um, over decades of time. Um, but I also think that's, that's the beauty in learning. And um, some people won't take that as authentic or genuine, but um, you know, we, we, ask, we ask people to change their minds and learn from things. And then sometimes we don't give them the opportunity to do so. Um, but I think, you know, a, a huge, a huge thing is gonna, that's going to draw the LGBTQ community to um, the the left or the liberal side of things um, is, you know, the ruling of same-sex marriage in 2015, right? So that's that that's people's livelihoods. So prior to that, I'm being told as a gay man that I don't have the same liberty to someday pursue marriage with another man, um, and when that is changed on a federal level that's going to gain attention of the community because that's the side that's, that's saying, listen, we see you, we hear you, we value you, we want you to have 
equal rights and equal liberties. Um, and, you know, this is uh, going to kind of tie into something we're, we'll talk about later. But right now you have um, the Trump administration talking about two things that are detrimental to the rights and liberties of LGBTQ people. Um, one of them being talk of allowing um, tax funded organizations to deny same sex couples for adoption, right? So that's sending the message that I don't have the right to be a father one day because of, uh, because someone doesn't believe that uh, two men can successfully raise a child or two women can successfully raise a child or two people that have gender identities outside of what's considered the norm can successfully raise a child, right? On top of that, um, uh, the Trump administration has just officially rolled back some of the Obama era uh, transgender protection rights in healthcare. Um, so, you know, I can't imagine someone in healthcare denying a human being the right to healthcare because of the gender identity that they identify with, but um, they're rolling back that protection and giving healthcare professionals the option to do so. And that's inhumane to me. Um, so yeah. when, you, when you look at what one side has done versus what the other side is trying to reverse that type of progress, it's kind of no, it, it's, it's no question to me that people of the LGBTQ community are going to side with one side or the other because one side is saying we value you and we want you to not be treated any differently. Um, and the other side is kind of saying the opposite. So, I mean, and it's, it's not just talk, it's action. And that's, that speaks even higher volume. So. Yeah, I think the difficult thing for me is that you, like, I was not a very political person growing up. Like, it wasn't talked about. I wasn't raised to be political. Um, I'd never even, like, really learned about politics in high school. So I think the first time for me that I started learning about politics and getting very political was when Obama did pass, um, that, like, the gays were basically allowed to be married in 2015. Um, And prior to that, I literally was not knowledgeable at all. So after that, I started like researching and kind of being more aware of where do I stand in all of this as a gay person. And I think we at the time didn't even realize all the things Obama did have in place for the LGBT community. So watching those things get taken taken away that were put in place, I think as a gay person, it's making you realize that all the things we were going towards you can't help but feel like we're going backwards and not to say it's the Republican party doing it, but the current administration is Republican and Donald Trump is going backwards. Yeah. So, so uh, just as a response to what you're saying, you know, and, and just to give you kind of the flip flop, um, you know, um, the democratic party historically is, is responsible for passing the most anti LGBT legislation in the history of America in the nineties. Don't ask, don't tell. And the defense of marriage act, um, Obama, Hillary, and Joe Biden all entered office, um, anti-gay, uh, during Obama's first administration. I actually, it might surprise you to believe I voted for Obama twice. But you know, and you know what, I was very grateful when uh, same-sex marriage passed during his administration. But here's, here's what I realized after looking at it a little uh, more in depth. Obama didn't pass that, the Supreme Court did. It happened to be during his administration. So does that mean that I, as a gay man, am, ha- have to pledge my undying loyalty to the Democratic Party simply be, be, because this legislation was passed 
during a democratic administration. Now, on the flip side, Trump, the Trump administration, so there has been a lot of propaganda and inflammatory, misleading headlines targeted specifically at low information LGBT voters to slander and to, um, to inflame outrage against the Trump administration when the facts are the Trump administration is probably the most pro-gay administration in the history of our country. Trump is the first uh, Republican, pre he's the first president in history. You might not know this, which is why I'm just giving you the facts. Um, Trump is the first president in history to enter office pro-gay. He's also the first Republican president in history to stand at the RNC and pledge his solidarity with the LGBT community, which I'm sure it's a clip that you never saw because the leftist LGBT media would never show you. Also, he's launched a global campaign to decriminalize homosexuality through the UN, um, which is major spotlighting uh, over 78 countries that still criminalize homosexuality. His administration did that. He also made history for the LGBT um, community by appointing the first ever gay man to uh, Richard Grinnell to a presidential cabinet. He's also pledged to help end AIDS by 2030. Now, what happens is when, when uh, they say that religious uh, institutions uh, are able to refuse uh, adoption to same-sex couples, the, the uh, LGBT community gets up in arms and they get so upset and they view it as a personal attack. But the way that I see it is, is a stand for religious freedom. The thing is, there are tons of adoption agencies in this country and none of them are allowed to refuse adoption to gay couples. The only ones that reserve that right are religious ones. Now, here's the other question. Um, if it was an, a Muslim or an Islamic um, adoption agency, do they also, would they adopt a child to a gay couple? Hell no, period. And so if they're allowed to not, to refuse that right, why, why are Christians held to a different standard? And here's the thing, gay people think that they're special because they're gay, they're not. We wanted the equality, right? So if there's equality, it should be equality across the board. Now, this whole, this whole headline that's happened just over the past you know, 48 hours saying that Trump is rolling back LGBT protections. First of all, the, these protections specifically target transgender people. I acknowledge that. I'm not transgender. I'm gay. So I, I resent on a certain level being lumped in with that, with all of those people because um, I'm not trans. However, I'm not saying that, you know, that I don't stand in solidarity with trans people. However, these rollbacks actually happened during the Obama administration. In December of 2016, before Trump even took office, these, these, uh, these, protect, these quote unquote protections for transgender people were blocked by a Texas court. So these laws never actually ever were ever came into effect. They've never been in effect. So the LGBT community, in my mind, they're, you know, they're flipping out, they're being out, outraged, but they're uneducated in the fact that they're directing their outrage at a man who's actually fighting for their community more than any other president in history, um, which to me is a slap in the face to the man because he doesn't have to do anything for us. Um, but then they're, they're, it, it's showing uh, an ignorance and a lack of understanding on the issues. Um, and to me, uh, rolling back protections of transgender um, healthcare, that's not the issue. The issue is reinstating the healthcare provider's freedom because here's the thing, 
Nobody should be forced in America by the government to do anything. That's why the baker doesn't have to bake the cake. And that's why the healthcare provider does not, should not be forced by the government to perform gender transition surgeries on a person. And you know what? Freedom in America, freedom first and foremost. I love freedom. There are tons of healthcare providers that would do that gender transitional surgery. So why would you go to the one who doesn't feel comfortable doing that? They don't have to. This is not about LGBT victimhood. It's about empowering the healthcare providers, reinstating their free freedom and saying, hey, if somebody doesn't feel comfortable performing a gender transition surgery, they don't have to. And it is incredibly pompous for any gay person to parade around pretending to be outraged. Um, like their, like, you know, their feelings are more important than the rights of a, of a doctor. Um, so anyway. you don't think that's what they sign up for? Um, I... You know, I don't think that anybody signs up to be forced to do anything by the government unless they're, you know, committing a crime, you know, and they're being taken to jail. Like, I mean, that's that's part of freedom. You know what I mean? Um, there. Yes. I mean, every doctor has their own right to choose, you know, what surgeries they're going to do, um, what patients they're going to take. And, you know, a foot doctor isn't going to take a, uh, um, a back surgery you know like because it, you know that's not their special specialty and and what happens with those laws is that then if if a doctor says that they don't want to perform a gender transitional surgery then the gay person can vindictively come back and say oh you're discriminating against me um when we don't really even know if that's the case um so i i don't find a problem with those things and i i actually find it insulting to my intelligence as a gay man that these liberal publications try and, you know, promote these narratives and feel this outrage. Uh, anyway, I'll get, I'll get off my soapbox because I could talk about it for a long time. Well, I do want to make a comment. I think that intersectionality, especially as a gay, I mean, here's what I'll say. Trans women, particularly trans women of color, are the reason why we have the rights and liberties as gay men that we get to appreciate today. And the work's not even done yet. So they spearheaded the movement over 50 years ago to make sure that you or I can walk the streets. And, and you know, they, they led that movement to what we have today. So I, I do find it uh, very, trying to find the right word here. I mean, I'll say the, I'll say the word, it, it, it's, it kind of, uh, reeks of privilege to say that you don't owe the other members of our community the same respect um, because you are one letter of the multi-letter communities. There's a reason why we're all lumped in together is because it is all of our fights. And, you know, another thing I'll say is you said something about um, the Supreme Court ruling gay marriage, but that has to come from a brief submitted by the administration. To your other point, you said that Trump submitted something to the, pre to, to the Supreme Court, but that's what Obama did for, for gay marriage. That has to come from the administration. Um, so yes, that did happen under Obama's administration because it was submitted by his administration. Um, but I'm gonna capitalize on intersectionality again. I mean, there's a reason why I, I, I am a gay man. So it is my moral obligation to fight for any type of minority. Because just because they're coming for a different minority doesn't mean that one day they're not going to come for me. And I think on a fundamental level, that is why people see the Democratic and Republican parties as so opposite because of comments 
like you made uh, that, you know, you are the G, so why do you have to worry about the T? And that, that message speaks really high volumes to people and it is very um, off-putting to a lot of people. And I think that's what creates that allegiance to one side versus the other when you're from the LGBTQ community, so. So I, I just view intersectionality as victimhood currency and, um, you know, it's, uh, it's, you know, dealing in terms of oppression and I get it, but here's the thing, we're all, we're all dealing with, you know, with our own struggles, you know, like to, uh, to place any one person's struggles over another is, um, invalidate invalidates other people's experience and i get it you know like everybody comes from different backgrounds and everybody has a different experience but um how long are people going to sit around and and act like they're being oppressed america is the greatest country in the world to be gay period um like i said before there's over 78 countries in the world where you can literally either be uh be thrown in jail or mur or in upwards i think it's like seven or eight of them you can be murdered for being gay in America, you're right. We can walk around and we, and we can, you know, I can hold my, I don't have a boyfriend right now, but I can hold my boyfriend's hand, you know, um, walking down the street, give him a kiss and not have to, you know, fear for my life. So um, I just, you know, I wonder how long, like what, what else is going to have to happen for the gay community to feel empowered enough to stop acting like perpetual victims when, you know, they're, they're really, in essence, just as free as every other person in this country. Well, what I'll say is, we have to believe that there's room for everyone to win. And the reason why I say that is because you made a comment that said, uh, why, are we, why are we still sitting around waiting for something to happen or we're prioritizing one person's rights or over the others. There's room for us all to win. This isn't about me sitting around as a gay man and, and letting the transgender movement take precedence. This is saying like, okay, I got my same sex marriage there's room for you to have your rights too. And right. you know, like I, I, I do walk the streets and I'm not really fearful for, of my life, but gay people are killed on the streets for being gay. Trans people are killed on the streets for being trans, simply for being. So yes, on paper we have freedoms, but in application, those are not quite where they are on paper. And that's just the reality. Well, last year, um, 28, um you know, trans people were killed um, out of literally, I think it's like over 1.3 million trans people in America. And the HRC, which is a leftist LGBT organization, is trying to, to fuel this narrative that, um, that, that trans people of color are the most at risk, you know, and that it's a, that's a, it's a pandemic or an epidemic in our country that trans people of color are being targeted but if you do the if you do the math 28 out of literally millions of trans people in the country it's really just not true i don't know trans people that are getting killed in the street um i mean i maybe we there could was two just this past this week issue. yeah and and you know what if that's if it's really such an issue then you know i wish that it was being you know addressed more um than it is but the, but the problem is it's a statistical outlier it's not an epidemic and it's an, and it, i do feel like it's insulting to my gay intelligence when I'm pandered to, um, and and these these uh, news organizations are telling me that I should be outraged about something that um, that is not like it's not an epidemic. So so you're not. Don't you think about you should take killed? that? Don't you think you should take in that information and like 
you see that there's a problem and like, shouldn't that make you want to like fix that problem and like be involved because that's your community? Like, shouldn't there, like, instead of viewing it in the sense that, oh, I have nothing to do that do with this, like, shouldn't you view that in the sense of, oh, that's my community. Like I have a platform, like I should stand up and stick up for them and say like, oh, like I'm here and I'm supporting the transgender community. I think like, you know what I mean? Like you have an audience that's listening to you Right. And it's a group of people in the world who, whether you agree or like it or not, they are in our community, right? Like whether you're the L, the Q, the T, we're all right. grouped together. Like we were grouped together for years because everybody in America thought we were weirdos. Like nobody understood the L, the G, whoever. Like they were just like, oh, you're in this group. You're a minority because this is what you choose to do. So we've all been in this fight together for years. So I think to not stick up for, let's say, the trans community now, it might be the bi community next year. It might be the lesbian community three years from now. And I would hope that if it's the gay community five years from now, I would hope the L, the T, the Q, the I, they are there sticking up for us as well. You know what I mean? Right. So, right. So, so, you know, I have the utmost respect for the trans community and also their rights to live their life as, as they wish. And that is not for me to, to project on anybody to tell them how they should live or this or that, you know, um, I, I support that. I actually have, um, tons of transgender friends and i also did a music video for one of the most famous transgender women in the entire country she's one of the first transgender people to ever get a uh, post-op transitional surgery her name is glamorous monique the music video is punch my kitty i am in the video in a speedo so you can watch it if you want um but um my my point is i just don't like it's insulting to my intelligence when people are trying to tell me that this is uh this is such an issue when um they're like there are people getting killed in the streets every day. You know what I mean? Like, like, and this is what, and, and we'll talk about this when we get to Black Lives Matter too, but, um, you know, it's the selective outrage. That's what bothers me. Of course, I don't want anybody to get killed. But, um, and I, I understand, you, you know, you're saying, oh, because I'm part of this community that I should take this cross to bear. Um, you know, I, I, like, let's, what is the cross? What is it? Let's, you know, like, is this really an epidemic or is this just something that's being exploited by uh, liberal um, LGBT publications to get a rise out of people and to fuel uh, outrage specifically against this administration? Uh, because at the end of the day, it's all political. So anyway. Um, well, I, well, I mean, n- neither Jeff nor I use the word epidemic to describe this. That came from, right. I think, an article that you mentioned. I'm not sure. Yes. So I, I didn't, men- I didn't, bring this up as an epidemic. I don't think that your trans friends that you claim to have would be very happy with you saying that this is not an issue because the statistic isn't high enough and that trans death is some type of outlier in your words. Um, Whether it's one person or 28 people, the fact that the, the, the murders are being based on them being them, right? So crime happens, people are killed. When we're talking about hate crimes and, and murders that come from, uh, targeted hate for for who somebody is that's a problem no matter what the statistic is period Um, i agree that that's why i'm against you know countries in the middle east and all across the world that are criminalizing and throwing gay men and women including transgender men and women into jail 
Right, but we're government. talking about America here. We're talking about right. America here. Like nothing really in this conversation has to do with other nations or other parts of the country. We're talking about the United States of America and what we what we should not do is be complacent in where we're at as a nation in comparison to where other nations are at. Like I said, there's room for all of us to win. Um, and I don't think that we should be um, settling or lowering our standards because third world countries are treating their people terribly. That's terrible too, right? So just because, just because ours, our, our treatment is less terrible in comparison, that doesn't validate that for me. That's not good enough for me. All right, well, we're gonna take a quick break from our sponsor and then we are gonna come back. <laughs> All right, so um, the next topic we're gonna get into is the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, and I think we gotta talk a little about police brutality in that as well. So Anthony, I'm gonna let you lead us off um, and get started. All right, so I mean, if we're gonna talk about Black Lives Matter, we gotta talk about uh, the history of black and brown disenfranchisement from the birth of our nation, really. I mean, we know that um, you know African-American people and black people were brought over here um, to serve as slaves. And you know that lasted for a long time. I think anyone alive now can condemn that. However, what we have to keep in mind is that once slavery was abolished, um, they they found ways to kind of keep it active but call it something else and what was done was um you know it wasn't like slaves were abolished and and you know the government was like well we're going to take care of you it was like you know you're no longer slaves but good luck uh, and figure it out was kind of what it was and then what happened was that laws were put into place where um black people were arrested in mass for very very small crimes like vagrancy and loitering um and then in turn they were really just enslaved again because then they were required to um you know complete services for for white people um while uh you know essentially in jail um and since then uh after the civil rights movement you know we had things like the war on drugs um which was another way to uh facilitate mass incarceration and um Basically, where, where we're at today is that Black Lives Matter is a thing and it is a movement because we see time and time again, especially in the ages of smartphones where, you know, you've got a camera in your pocket that Black lives are not treated with the same rights, liberties, and justice um, as non-Black lives. And what we're saying is my life is important and my, I don't have the, you know, black people do not deserve to have their lives taken from them uh, for things that had a white person done them, um, the this, this same action would not be taken. So, um, you know, I've been at a lot of these protests myself. Um, I live in Washington, DC. So I got to experience a lot of the bringing in of the National Guard and a lot of reinforcement. And uh, what I can tell you is that um, they've been peaceful and they've, they've been, you know, kind of celebratory in a way as, as, as they've gone on. And, you know, not only from firsthand experience, but, um, you know, from video evidence of other friends of mine who live in DC, who were out at these protests, the protesters are not inciting violence here. And, you know, it, it's one thing to see it on a video in another state away, but it's another thing to ex experience it firsthand. Um, and, you know, I stood in the in the front line of protesters about 20 feet from a line of police and other guardsmen. And uh, 
unprovoked just by um, chanting and trying to have conversation with them. We were tear gassed, flashbangs were thrown at us, rubber bullets were shot at us. Um, and that was the trend for a few, for a few days. We saw the, uh, you know, the, the violence and the police brutality die down after the, after, after um, uh, the president's photo op in front of the St. John's Church here in DC. But um, it, it's, it's important to be paying attention. Uh, you know, I was telling my friend, uh, I, I'm on Twitter a lot and I, I've noticed that we've kind of all collectively rejected mainstream media during all of this because we're noticing that they're not reporting this the way that it's happening. They're not really reporting it. Uh, and this is across the board. You know, they, there's, there's agendas everywhere. And uh, it's clear in word choice and, um, and verbiage and what they choose to air and not air that, um, that there's some type of agenda here. And we've really relied on each other and our own video evidence of what's going on to get the news in these times. Um, yeah, I would so there's say really no really denying it. The whole thing is in New York, and I mean, I can only speak on New York since that's where I am. I think social media has been a huge impact on this whole movement at the moment. And mm -hmm. I think it's something that like, I've never experienced before or felt so involved and somebody who isn't black and like, obviously doesn't understand what that means coming from somebody who is white privilege. I think through social media and social media alone, I've learned so much about like the privilege I was given being born mm -hmm. the way I was born. And that's not driven by media or anything else because I just feel like you can't trust it. So I feel like it's been a huge learning experience for everybody, whether you're black or you are white um, or whatever your race may be. Um, I think we're all just like learning through this movement. And I think what I'm learning is what are the people closest to me doing to be proactive in this movement, right? So it's like, you obviously have certain people who are choosing to go to the protest. Then you have other friends who maybe are scared to voice their opinion, which, I mean, that's personally how I felt in the beginning. I was almost like afraid to say the wrong thing because I think a lot of times from like a white person's perspective, um, it can be scary to speak up in fear of like, am I allowed to say black? Do you say African American? Mm -hmm. Like, I think there's right. so many things that is unclear and it's very easy to just get like shit on if you want to call it that. It's like, you try to be supportive, but then it's almost like they're not viewing you as supportive. They see you being like unsupportive, I guess you could say. I don't know. It's, it's, it's difficult to process. So I feel like for me, um, just social media has been a huge learning experience for me in terms of like how to be involved and what to say and what not to say. Um, I don't know, David, how do you feel it's going for you in terms of like your learning experience through like the Black Lives Matter movement? Well, I have never been a fan of the Black Lives Matter organization. Um, and it's not because I personally don't believe that Black Lives Matter um, I believe that um, it's an incredibly disingenuous movement. Um, I think that, um, you know, uh, black people are not being hunted down by cops in the street. In 2019, there were nine unarmed black people that were killed by the cops. Out of 41.4 million black people in this country, that makes up 0. 0.0000. 0.022% of the black population. Um, over 85, 89 officers died 
last year. Um, I think that my biggest issue with um, the Black Lives Matter organization is that it uh, exploits um, in a wrongful fashion um, uh, specific tragedies um, to push a, uh, a narrative and agenda um, in this country, um, but it completely neglects countless other black lives that that are also at risk for other reasons. And um, I would love it if the Black Lives Matter orga organization um, also included other, if black, the thing is, I really have a hard time believing that uh, black lives truly matter to the Black Lives Matter organization um, when they're, they're honing in on this one specific issue, but they're completely neglecting major other issues that are affecting the black community, including uh, abortion, um, which targets um, out of 43 million abortions uh, since 1973, over 19 million of them, that's almost half of them, 50% are, are black, um, done major damage to the black community. Um, black on black crime, 94% um, of black men are murdered by other black men. And also just in these protests alone, um, there have been countless black lives um, that have been lost that we'll never hear about and the, that Black Lives Matter will never address because, in my opinion, black lives don't really matter to Black Lives Matter. It's a political agenda. They're, it's, it's, to me, it's a racist organization because they're using, the, they're exploiting these incidents to fuel ra racial divide. Um, and it's not something that I agree with. Now, you, uh, I do agree with, um, and I appreciated Anthony kind of, breaking down the history of, um, of, my, of minority communities in our country and the oppression that they faced in the past. Um, one of the biggest ways that minority communities are oppressed in America today is through the welfare system. It's literally a form of slavery. However, the, <laughs> the Democratic Party is now pushing a socialist agenda um, which is actually to expand welfare programs. So if we really want to empower these communities and break them free from the chains of, the, of the, their oppression, I don't believe voting for policies that expand the welfare state and expand this, uh, this uh, system of, of slavery, um, I don't think that that's the way, the way to go. I mean, um, one of the things that drew me to the Republican Party is uh, the value of personal liberty. Um, and... Uh, and that's why, um, you know, you'll hear conservatives say a lot, you know, um, we want to decrease uh, the individual's dependency on the government and empower them as individuals to thrive in the society. Nobody can do that when, they're, when they have a dependency on the, on the government. Um, and, and you see that with government housing, you see that with food stamps, and also it doesn't just affect black and brown communities, it affects white, white communities as well. Um, to me, it's not, um, it shouldn't be a race issue, it should be an economic issue. Um, you know, RIP to, you know, you know, to George Floyd, I don't think anybody on either side would, would agree that, um, that his death was justified. Um, however, we're not talking about people like David Dorn, who is a cop who was murdered trying to protect a, a business from looting. We're not talking about uh, a black cop, uh, Patrick Underwood, who lost his life 
during the, the rioting and looting. Um, I, I get it. I get that there are a lot of people out there peacefully protesting um, in the streets um, because they, you know, they feel like they're being oppressed or, and you know, my heart breaks. Um, but I, you know, I choose to, um, to promote a message of empowerment. Um, and I think that, um, I think Black Lives Matter just only perpetuates this racial division in this country when, you know, a lot of people at this moment are wanting to come together. Black Lives Matter is saying, we can't come together unless it's based on these negative, toxic and dysfunctional emotions that are actually, you know, that are uh, destructive to any, to the human spirit. But don't you think that like these protests and this movement, I think as like a white person, you, you can't fully understand it until you see that. So like by going to these protests and seeing the movement, it's like, it's, you're getting a glimpse of what they go through. And like, yes, you were talking about like cops who have been murdered, who I'm assuming were white cops who are trying to defend looters and things like that. No, they're black. They're black. But the thing is, Black Lives Matter won't talk about them because those black lives don't fit the agenda and those black lives don't matter to Black Lives Matter. All I'm saying is it's selective instead of really addressing all black lives. I believe all black lives matter, not just the ones that Black Lives Matter tell me to be outraged about. So let's talk about a few things. Um, cops choose their career. Yes. So they know, what they're, they know what they're signing up for. They know every time that they put that uniform on they are risking their own life and their own safety. That is a choice. That is not something that is forced upon them. They can quit at any point in time. A black person cannot take off their black skin. And the Black Lives Matter is saying, we are being killed because we are black. The cop that was killed in the protest was not killed because he was black. That's why it's not being talked about as part of the movement because the movement is about black people being killed for being period. And that's what that's about. I want to touch on another thing you said, and I'm so glad you brought it up. Black on black crime. That's not really a thing because we don't call white on white crime a thing. We don't call white on white crime, white on white crime. We just call it crime, right? And if you look up the statistics, which I did earlier today, the amount of black to black crime is equivalent to the amount of white to white crime. The numbers are not the same as far as, um, you know, whites and blacks, but across the board, white to white, and black to black, those numbers within the two races are equivalent. So the narrative that why isn't Black Lives Matter talking about black on black crime is that black people are not killing black people for being black. That's the root of the issue here. And again, I mean, you, you did this with the transgender argument too. You're bringing up statistics as if that justifies that something being done isn't wrong enough. And I find that extremely inhumane and disrespectful. I think that if we were to say, okay, a bomb was dropped on Florida and took out Florida once, but it, once in a decade, you're like, oh, well, it only happened once in a decade, so it's not a problem. No, that's still a problem, right? You have, um, you know, Trayvon Martin, the, the white neighborhood, the white guy that was in Neighborhood Watch, um, George Zimmerman was instructed not to, uh, not to pursue that. Okay, he shoots Trayvon Martin for, for walking home from the convenience store. Tamir Rice, 12 years old, playing in the park with a toy gun, is shot by the police. Philando Castile is reaching for his license in his car. His girlfriend and, and their daughter is in the back seat, shot for reaching for his license in the car. So, and then you have, you know, a white kid who goes and shoots up a high school, literally kills people 
leaves the scene alive. So you have to acknowledge that there's a difference in how the police treat you based on your skin color. There's no denying it. And, you know, again, I'm going to drive that like black on black crime thing. That's, it's not a valid narrative to push in retaliation of the Black Lives Matter movement because that happens no matter what skin color you're is. You know, the white and white crime uh, statistics are equivalent as far as a ratio to black on black crime. So why aren't white people talking about that? Because we just call it crime. It's not motivated by the color of your skin. And that's the important part about this. But white, people black lives matter. white people also are marching in the street every time a white person's killed by the cops saying white lives matter, because if they did, they'd be called racist. But for some reason, it's okay to say black lives matter. And now it's racist to say all lives matter, which is one of the most all-inclusive statements that you could ever make. And I, and I get it. Trust me. I, I get the reason why people don't like it. And I haven't said it here. You know, that what I said was all lives, all black lives matter. Um, and, and, um, I, you know, any of those incidences is an injustice. And I agree with you, Anthony, um, those cops, uh, you know, that were involved, justice should be, um, should be sought against those cops. They should lose their jobs. They should be in jail. Uh, I agree with you. What I'm saying is, the, the, uh, the, you know, just, just from a statistical standpoint, these incidences that are happening, they represent a statistical outlier. They're not real issues. They're issues that are used to fuel rage in this country and division. And what I'm saying is it's an insult to anybody, anybody's intelligence when they, when they do this and then we just buy into it. I, I wish that we could all, you know, be, you know, be more perceptive when these things are happening. And I think it's very interesting because I think, you know, on the left and the right, you even said it, me and my friends, we're not going to the mainstream uh, news anymore. And it's true, you know, because, because people on both sides are realizing that we're being fed uh, nonsense on mainstream news. Um, citizen journalism is on the rise. It's one of the reasons why I run my page, um, Brokeback Patriot on the internet. Um, and I talk about these issues all day, every day. Um, I, you know, I just, these aren't, um, yeah, that, I'll just leave it I, at that. I, I think there's a lot I could say, but I think ultimately I can't convince you to care about other people's lives. So to say that in very obvious issue of police brutality against black people is not a real issue because of the statistic, the statistical outlier nature of it, um, I don't, I don't find value in trying to argue that because I think that goes down to a fundamental level of caring about human lives. And that's not something that I'm willing to argue or challenge. Well, I, I do care about people's lives. I just also care about honesty and um, being uh, genuine. What is dishonest though? What's dishonest? And portraying the, you know, portraying the facts of these issues in America, instead of twisting them to, uh, to fuel, um, I mean, literally in over 24, I think it's upwards to 28 countries in, uh, in, or excuse me, cities in this country, there were, and I get that there are peaceful protests everywhere, but there were, there was rioting and looting in at least 24 cities across the country. They're burning down our communities that, um, that to me, and I, and I get it, you know what I mean? Let's find justice for George Floyd and fire these cops and lock them up and that's fine. And that's great. Everybody on both sides can, can get behind that. But this, this issue 
it's it's a it's an outlier it's not it's not it, black people are not being hunted down by the cops um and it's not worth burning our country for it's you know in my opinion it's not because those lives i don't care about those lives it's because i also care about the lives of the people here in this country and the the history that our country has to build up these communities black and white and brown all living together hand in hand um and that that overnight in two weeks we've seen in this country these cities being burned to the ground we've seen black people black business owners losing their businesses to rioting and looting and it's devastating it's more devastating to the black community than anything police brutality is doing period and that's oh, just we've a seen fact. white people equally looting i've seen like so many videos of right, white right. people running into stores right. on fifth ave walking out with 100 percent. Right. i'm not I saying see. that i'm not saying only black looters are wrong and white looters are okay i'm saying all looters but they're all doing it you know like as a response to this issue and what i'm saying is it's more damaging to our country than police brutality is to the black community <laughs> so david i'm gonna well, say, ask you this okay. question do you do you think so there's obviously been protests going on now for about two weeks, right? Yes. Do you think the administration currently under Donald Trump is being productive in terms of moving this movement along and kind of like coming up to kind of like creating a law or something in place that's going to make people feel more comfortable to move forward? Um, I think ultimately um, embedded within the Constitution of the United States is our right to peacefully protest. Um, I think that the situation's absolutely out of control. I 100% support Donald Trump's decision to deploy the National Guard to different cities when necessary. However, ultimately, this is not up to Donald Trump and it's not up to his administration. This is up to the governors and the mayors of these cities. Um, and those are, the, those are the people that are directly um, involved in... in, in um, deploying the police in those cities. And the majority of these protests are happening in cities that are run by democratic leaders. And so you have dem either these democratic uh, governors or these democratic mayors, like for example, Seattle and Portland right now with the, um, with the creation of these autonomous zones and, and, um, and Minneapolis, which is also run by Democrats, um, Atlanta now. Um, I mean, they're all democrat run cities. And no, they're not being handled well. Is it the administration's fault? No. Should there be a law against uh, protesting? No, it's in our constitutional right. If people violate um, that right to pr protest peacefully by uh, engaging in violence or vandalism or um, terrorism, then should they be punished by law? Yes, 100%. I don't think you're watching the videos that are circulating online that I'm watching then because like I said, from personal experience, and there is right now on Twitter a thread of over 400 videos of police incited violence during peaceful protests. And you said we have the right to peacefully protest. Why are we being tear gassed for peacefully protesting then? So, right. so there, there is an issue that we have to acknowledge. There's absolutely an issue that we have to acknowledge here. It is out of control. And the, you know, the narrative that the violence is starting with riots and then police violence is in retaliation it's very much the opposite and just about every every single city i've seen and if you want to talk about outliers there are protests in all 50 states of the country washington dc puerto rico and 18 plus countries outside of america so if you want to talk about outliers those of those of those of us in america that are disagreeing with the protests you're the outlier 
there's clearly a, a powerful message that's being sent here with the Black Lives Matter movement. And you can call it sheeple and you can call it whatever you want, but if you're gonna tell all the entire country that you know they're wrong for believing in this, I think that you're the outlier. I wanna touch on another thing. So we have you know, 450 plus years um, since, since even before the technical birth of our nation of things like slavery and black injustice uh, and disenfranchisement. And, you know, and then we expect, uh, you know, the black community to catch up to the head start that white people had for 450 years when it comes to wealth and neighborhoods. And you said, you know, you think the administration or the Republican Party is all about like bringing communities together and bringing neighborhoods together, then why does redlining exist and why does it still have impacts on our communities? Um, I don't see any work being done, uh, you know, by either administration to, uh, you know, to mm -hmm. heal that. So, I mean, it, it's just it's just not the reality. The communities are not equal. It was designed this way from the get go, and there's no possible way that you know these uh, these communities that are in uh, you know more unfortunate areas will really ever catch up. There was there was a disadvantage from the from the jump, and white people had 450 years of a head start. So, I mean, well, I don't. I go ahead. No, I was just going to say that that's kind of putting down those communities and holding it's like what you just said. Oh, the black community will never be able to catch up. That's very, it's very, I'm not, that's say not what I said. That's, that's not what I said. That might've been what you heard. I addressed specific communities that are struggling. Never did I say that it was the black community as a, as an entity. Well, you said, you said these minority communities will never get a chance to catch up, but that thinking alone, you telling a minority that they will never get to get a chance to catch up. It's, That's it's not what I'm saying. I'm not telling, I'm not telling the minority that they will never catch up. I'm saying that we live in a system that is designed to never allow them to catch up. I so just can disagree. You see, can you see why, why there's, that's why there's protests and riots and looting. I think we're not, we're not talking enough about the why, we're talking about the what, and that's where we'll never really understand why it's happening. If you see, if you see looting and rioting happening, you just say, oh, well, and you call it, you call it a thug, like these right-wing news channels like to do, but you're not asking the why. The why is because for centuries, we have told black people that property means more than their lives. We see it in the police force. We see patterns all the time. So. If I'm a black person I'm, and I'm being told my entire life that property and merchandise and buildings mean more than my life, I'm gonna burn that shit to the ground. So you gotta start asking the why and stop focusing on the what. And I think that's when, as a nation, you'd claim that you know, we, we wanna come together and you know, hand in hand, that's when that's going to happen. That's gonna be the only time that we're gonna even get close is when we start asking the why to enable the understanding because right now we're seeing just a lot of judgment we're not asking those important questions. I mean, I think it's important to touch on the fact that this is clearly a huge issue. I mean, I think we go back to March when the world was normal and all of a sudden a pandemic starts that we're all forced to be in our houses for the past four months. And we all are hiding away, terrified, not even seeing our grandparents, not even seeing our mothers on Mother's Day to the point where everybody just gets to a point that like they can no longer keep watching this or see this anymore, that it's a clear issue 
that there's this huge race disparity in our country, let alone the world, and that everybody, at least in a big city that I've witnessed, has been in the streets protesting and trying to be proactive and trying to make a change while forgetting that we're in a pandemic and risking their lives going to take care of this. So I think it just goes to show how many people actually like really do care and like are addressing that there is an issue because you would never risk your life in the midst of everybody's first time in a pandemic like this, that like you could catch something and die that you're risking your life to go to this protest essentially. You know what I mean? So I think there's something to be said on how important these issues are if you're willing to go do that. Well, well, what's you, sorry, but, uh, sorry, I'll let you continue. I didn't mean to cut you off. But I feel like we dived in a lot about that. So I just wanted to end that unless you guys need (laughs) like a last minute ending remark, but I kind of want to get into, um, just like voting in general and like the demographics behind like your generic Republicans or your generic, um, Democrats. Um, so David, I'll let you get started if you want to ask Anthony or I a question just about like voting and the system and like Democrats in general. Well, um, I don't know, like across America right now, we see um, cities burning. They're primarily Democrat cities that are run by Democrat leaders uh, that have been in office for decades. The uh, primary candidate right now for uh, to, uh, for the Democratic Party, uh, for the president of the United States is Joe Biden. He's a career politician who's been in office for literally decades. If elected, he would be the oldest man ever elected to be president of the United States. If Joe Biden has already been in office his, enti- like his entire life, essentially, um, why do Democrats think that he's magically going to... Uh, solve all their problems now you know he says he says oh we must vote for uh joe biden um because he has the real solutions but if he had the solutions don't you think that um in his lifetime career being a politician he he would have already addressed them including a uh history a long history of uh anti-gay voting record um and also um you know just to dovetail that you know to anybody else who's listening um, you know, after looking at the facts and looking at the history and then looking at the, who the candidate is, you know, like, like I said, I voted for Obama twice, then I voted for Trump, I'm going to vote for Trump again. You know, just because you're, you're gay doesn't mean that you have to vote for Democrat. And if you and even if you're registered with the Democratic Party, and you choose to vote for Donald Trump, who's the most pro-gay president in history, um, you, like, as, as gay people, as we're all gay men here in this chat, we don't have any obligation to vote for Democrats. And uh, that'll be, the, you know, like my, I guess my question is um, what, you know, like if we've been voting for Democrats and, and, you know, people like Joe Biden are career politicians who have been in office for literally decades, why do you think voting for him this time is going to be any different? Well, Joe Biden was not my uh, preferred Democratic candidate by any means um, at this point. My mentality is anybody but Trump. Um, I'm using my vote to contribute to getting Donald Trump out of the White House. And if that means voting for Joe Biden, that is sure as hell what I'm going to do. Um, uh, You mentioned something else. Oh, about um, about the Democratic leaders in in cities that you say are burning. Um, The Black experience transcends 
the political affiliation with a city. So just because a city has a Democratic leader, a Republican leader, the Black experience is the same throughout. Um, and the affiliation of the city has nothing to do with the pain that Black people have felt for centuries. So I don't really think that was a relevant point to bring up. Um, I can see why you did, but I think that it's more important to acknowledge that these things are happening all over the country um, because people are sharing each other's pain and that pain transcends location or political affiliation. Um, did you have any thoughts on that, Jeff? I just want to touch on, I think, at least for me, what I've learned is that when I think about Democrats and Republicans, and this is kind of like a very like high school definition, if you want to call it that, I personally have always grown up with thinking that Republicans care more about themselves and money. And like, that's just something I've learned growing up. And that was like from teachers, like whether that's right or wrong, that's just general knowledge, right? And then you always hear that Democrats are here to kind of like progress change. They're more, they care more about social aspects than financial gain. And something that I've always aligned with is that I feel like I kind of grew up in that Republican mindset in the sense that like, for me as a business owner, you do care about your business and your money and your funds. And there are times I think maybe financially, I would have conservative viewpoints. But then I personally care more about like myself and equal rights and things in that regards that like I care, my vote will always be blue because I think that leads to social change where I have a negative mindset in my head that Republicans don't lead to social change. It's only like, I guess you could say selfish gain. Monetary. Yeah. It's for capital. Like I think there's a lot of programs put in place for specific people to gain monetary, like it's just, the whole system's messed up, I think, in general. You could be Democrat right. or Republican, but at the end of the day, I think the whole system is just a complete wash. And I mean, at the end of the day, there's really no winning for anybody. Like you could be a Democrat, you could be a Republican. Like I think the only people who are ever winning are the people who are in office, who are showing up to work every day. And we're just pawns who are feeling a certain way and hoping to enact change and hoping to be seen and heard. And whether you're black, whether you're white, whether you're Republican, whether you're Democrat, I think the whole system is just such a bigger picture than like we'll ever be able to understand. And I think there's so much that goes on and that goes into this behind the scenes that like we could probably sit here and argue for hours, but at the end <laughs> of the day, like what goes on in that house affects the whole country and all we're allowed to do is vote red or blue. And that's even a divide because in America, there's not a popular vote, right? It's all based on this like electoral bullshit system that it's, it's just a mess and it's frustrating. But at the end of the day, I think people need to look at the issues and they need to decide from there how they want to vote. Yeah. Um, so I think that, um, that, your experience and your understanding of the Republican Party and of the conservative movement um, is probably commonly shared through a lot of uh, people uh, throughout this country. But I also would, would um, suggest that it's false, um, that um, a lot of uh, educational systems are also run by um, 
either Democrat leadership or, I mean, even we call them liberal arts universities, you know, where people learn a lot about politics. Um, for me, one of the, you know, the, the main reason, I'll just bring it home, like, because I know we're coming to an end. Um, you know, I like I believe that um, government is a necessary evil. That's literally what the founding fathers said. Um, I'm not a fan of government. I, I could imagine maybe neither of you are either. I mean, but it's necessary. Okay, we can all agree with that. That being said, I will always vote um, for the smallest, most limited government possible. Um, and that is what, um, you know, more than anything economic, um, that is what Republicans and conservatives, that's literally what being a conservative means. A lot of people think it means, oh, backwards, old ideas. No, we're conserving the, uh, the, the government. We're conserving the, the power of the government. We're limiting that and we're keeping it small. That's let lower taxes um, and less inf government authoritarian infringements on people's rights. Um, so uh, right now, um, the alternative is the Democratic Party, which is currently pushing a socialist agenda, more welfare, more government programs. If you've ever been to the DMV, you know how awful of an experience it is. Why would anybody want hospitals run like the DMV? Why would anybody want more social programs? We, I want the government out of my life. I don't want more government. I want less government. And to me, a vote for Republicans is a vote for less government. A vote for Democrats is a vote for more government. And it's just, and it's nothing like even on a value level, you know, like, or a social level, like, um, or anything personal. I'll just never vote for that because I, I already don't like the government. I think it's corrupt. And I will always vote for less, smaller, limited government. Anthony, you want to wrap up your thoughts? Um, I, I'm going to tie it back to one of the first thing I said, uh, you know, for me, the question that I ask myself is what is life without humanity, morality, and compassion? And I think, you know, on my deathbed, that's going to mean a lot more to me than whether the government was big or small. That's going to mean a lot more to me than how the economy did as a country. I really couldn't give a shit about that. I think that what's going to matter to me when I capstone my life is, uh, you know, did I fight for the rights of other people? Um, did I treat my neighbor as my family? Um, and that's what's going to make me proud at the end of my life. And I, I lead my entire life that way. And like I said in the beginning, I think that if, if as a country we did that, I think that we would see the nation we all desire. And I think that all of those other things that we call political um, would fall into place and be most advantageous for the most people possible. I think that we still have a system that serves um, serves its best to a, a small populace of people, and that's not fair. And, and a lot of people feel um, you know disenfranchised because of it. So um, I, I will always vote for you know the party that is not inciting the divide. And you know we've had a racial divide for centuries. Um, my generation is trying to end it. So I'm gonna remain on that side of history. Well, I wanna thank Anthony and David for both coming on. I will tag both your Instagrams in the bio of this podcast. So thank you both. Um, I appreciate you guys coming on. I hope whoever is listening to this, um, this kind of gave you some insight on your own political views. Um, so regardless of where you stand, please go vote. Um, that's it. Thanks, boys. Thank you. Thank you very much. That was You're fun. brave for doing this.